Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. No Evan G. Watkins today. He is too busy in dad mode. But two men I know who don't have kids are Doug Bowman and Matei Sis. That you know of. That you know of. That is true. That we know of. That's true. Doug has a checkered past. uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is off to a rip-worn start. (laughs) I I kid, but gentlemen, (laughs) how are we doing? Uh, I'm good. I got Braves game up on the other screen, so if I'm a little delayed in my responses, that's why. Okay, Doug Bowman, quickly before we get into it, the delay. Are we punishing teams for winning 100 games by making them sit out for a week? I think they need to figure out some way to not have that happen. Five days is a long time. Yeah, there's no other point in a baseball season other than, I guess, the all-star break where you're not playing for five days, but the playing field is even at that point. It makes sense for, like, a football team where players are, like, bye weeks are good there, but, like, when you're trying to hit a 98-mile-an-hour sinker, I don't think, like, taking five days off from trying to do that is good. Yeah, well, what I'll say is that the Orioles got hosed. Either way, Matei, you doing well, buddy? I'm living life. I'm fully moved from the last podcast. I had an empty apartment, and now I am moved. So that stress is out of here. Fall is in full swing. So I'm very – I won't be down in Lane Stadium, but I am excited for the for the crisp fall weather on Saturday. I will be there. And I'm very excited for some Blacksburg fall weather. Truly, you know, I've lived in many places in my life. I've lived in Alaska, New Jersey, North Carolina, the Kingdom of Japan. Nowhere has weather like Blacksburg. You've lived in Alaska? Yeah, for like three months once during the summer. Alaska Baseball League. I'm not going to get into it right now, but uh, back during my play-by-play days. You lived in Japan? I was born in Japan. The Kingdom of Japan. Are you a Japanese citizen? Honorary, in a sense. <laughs> They're very particular about who they give citizenship gotcha. to over there. I had the opportunity to get it. It would have required moving back to Japan around the uh, time I turned 18. Problematic. Yeah. Strongly considered, did not end up executing on that plan. Uh, instead, moved to Blacksburg, Virginia, where the weather's bad. <laughs> but either way, the team that plays at the university based out of Blacksburg, Virginia, went down to Florida last week uh, to take on Florida State. The result ended up being pretty much where we thought it would be. Tech loses. They go down big early, crawl back, and then lose by about as much as they were down by originally. Uh, Uninspiring, but not totally demoralizing. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on what we saw in Tallahassee on Saturday? I thought it was exactly what we thought it was going to be. Like you said, uh, Tech came out and got overwhelmed from the jump. Just didn't show up in the first quarter. Um, and that's not a team you can get put behind the eight ball like that. Um, so, but, but I also thought Tech did about what we uh wanted them to do expected of them and that they competed hard after that like this wasn't a complete beatdown. um there are definitely some positives and you know i remember on last week's podcast we were talking about like they just need to have some moments and some drives and some some positive memories to take away and be like that that that's how we need to keep playing we need to play more of that um and then so, so they accomplished that, and then you know there was plenty of missed opportunities. They accomplished that, and that just made the missed opportunities feel a little worse. The, you know, the, the chances to really get back into the game um, hurt because of because of how hard they'd fought to get to get um, pretty close. So, which I think is a good thing. Like they they walked away with some good memories to rely on, and then they walked away with some things that were like. We were really close if we could just do this better, um, which is a lot better situation than falling behind 22 nothing and losing like 44-3 to and having absolutely nothing to, to kind of come back to Blacksburg with. So I thought it was what, what it was. I thought it was exactly what we thought it was going to be, and um, 
about what you wanted out of that Florida State game. Yeah, and like in that second quarter specifically, and then the beginning of the third quarter, obviously coming out of the half with, you know, with Tootin having the big 99-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, like those were the type of good things, like seeing the Virginia Tech defense get sacks and off the field three and outs after what transpired in the first quarter, like that's kind of the window you look at and you say, okay, that could be the ceiling of this team if they can do that consistently, but you also have to take in the bad. And it just feels like this season, it's just like the same trend over and over again, where Virginia Tech's run defense just breaks down. I think Doug covered it pretty well in our preview last week, saying that Trey Benson is definitely someone you need to watch out for. And he showed exactly why. Um, and, And then, you know, it's always like, Virginia Tech starts slow offensively the first drive of the game you know three straight passes by Kyron Drones they go three and out I think three times in a row didn't really establish the run it took until the second quarter to figure it out but hey they're already in a hole it's like we've seen this against Purdue we saw this against Rutgers Uh, we saw this against well maybe not Marshall because they they scored first but It's like Virginia Tech has this habit where they fall behind early. They come back into the game. It's 21-17 at the, you know, beginning of the second half. And then all of a sudden, it's just like demoralizing big runs uh, against the defense. So I think that's the worrying trend. Like, it's a bit more obvious against a team like Florida State where they had clear advantages in the trenches. But I think that's you still need to fix a couple things like with all the good that came out of this game and you can, you know, drones really competed. I thought Malachi Thomas, even though um, he kind of had to step in, I thought it was his best game of the season and, you know, really solidified himself as someone that, you know, could take some more touches. Um, But all in all, I feel like it was a lot of the same, but there were some good moments here. I thought Drones' performance was like the most, despite the score, like the most um, representative example so far of like, you can't teach that on the practice field. Like you, you can't evaluate that properly on the practice field. Like he, his ability to run got Virginia Tech back in the game. Um, and his, I thought his poise and like how he stayed in the game was really impressive when you're, you, know, you go down three and out three times to start the game. You're down twenty-two nothing. You're on the road in Tallahassee in front of their crowd, and like he kept everything on the tracks. And I thought that was like, you know, you would never, you would never be able to trust him like that without seeing it in an actual game, right? Like you're like, we go back to stuff in August where they just couldn't evaluate him like they they wanted and couldn't fully trust him but i think that was a really positive sign that he kind of weathered that storm and really got the offense back on track so you mentioned the first quarter struggles a little bit earlier and it's become a tale as old as time for this team is there anything in particular that you can point out whether it be uh you know scripted plays at the beginning uh just overall readiness, emotion. I mean, like, what is it? Because at a certain point, when you start to see a pattern forming, there has to be some causation there. Like, what is it? I think it's twofold. Like, it's it's definitely a slow offensive start. We've seen in the games, again, against Purdue, Rutgers. Rutgers was obviously the big fumble, I think, on the second play of the game. Um, we saw it again. There are you know, they came out throwing the ball against this Florida State defense instead of, you know, after uh, their big rushing performance against Pitt. Um, sometimes it feels like the scripting at the beginning of the game offensively is a little too clever. You know, maybe Tyler Bowen thought, OK, Florida State, they're giving us looks that they're keying in on this run game. You know, we can win these one on one matchups. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you're going three and out, you know, three times and you're giving the ball to some explosive offenses they're going to they're going to make you punt it they're going to punish you so i think offensively it's about sticking with your identity and i know sometimes the situation may not look good but you have to commit to the run you have to 
somehow get it going, whether it's misdirection, like finding different ways to get Bashal Tootin involved, get drones involved with his legs first before you can open up that passing game. I think that's pretty obvious. And, you know, it would help if they if they scored a bit more. I think to this date, like Marshall is the only time Virginia Tech has scored in the first quarter this year. So there's definitely been a lot of slow starts offensively. And then defensively, it's it's also like, you know, they go in with a plan and it feels like, you know, they're doing well with some things, but they don't adjust until the second quarter in most games. So I think it's, it's, you know, I don't know what's going on on a daily basis in practice. I don't know how they're preparing for these opponents, but I think in a few instances this year, they, they just, they've stuck with a mindset that hasn't worked and then they've had to adjust later. And we've seen that part of it work. We've seen Virginia Tech be able to slow down Florida State's offense after they could do, you know, literally anything on the football field. We saw the offense come back and have some pretty crucial drives and find success on offense, but it's just a little too late. I I don't know what the solution is, if they can script better, but they've clearly found success to come back in multiple games this year. They just have to start off faster. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is. I've seen discussion about the the initial play calling there against against Florida State with the passes and stuff, and some of those passes were essentially running plays and short passes. But um, I don't know how you come. I hate to just be like call better plays or execute better, but I think that's really what it comes down to. Like, um, I don't like this was a. This, the start of this game was a spitting image of the start to the 2020 UNC game where we, you know, that was the UNC team with Howell and Diami Brown and Daz Newsom and Michael Carter, like loaded offense. And you just knew that Tech could not afford to, to go three and out early. You can't afford, especially once they got the ball. And that's the same thing that happened here. It was just three and out score, three and out score, three and out score. Um, so, I mean, I think I'm fine with some of the short passes to begin the game, especially if you, you know, given Tech's struggles up front. Um, I I don't think Tech's running game is strong enough to, like, count on it always, like, that being the most effective way to move the ball early in the game. Um, but how to, how to improve it so that it doesn't happen against Florida State or Purdue, who's much worse than Florida State or anything like that like i don't i don't know i don't like they talk about how practicing you know starting practice with a like an intense period or something like i don't know it's just it's a mystery of how do you how do you avoid it and i think that's something that coaches struggle with the team the team tech's playing this week has struggled the wake force fell behind odu well fell behind georgia tech um you know, it's it, it's not just for Gene Tech struggling with it. I want to talk a little bit about Bayshall, too. Matei said it, and he seems to be proven more and more right every week. This kid has the best pro prospects of any player on Virginia Tech's offense for certain, possibly on the entire team. We know this offensive line has limitations. We saw them struggle early on in the year, trying to run zone read between the tackle types. It's probably just not going to cut it, given the disparity that certainly you're going to be facing against Florida State, even some other ACC programs. If you were Tyler Bowen, what are you drawing up to get the most out of this guy? I think like every game you you want him to be in the 15 to 20 carry range again whether it's misdirection if it's you know kind of I think they ran a couple of the they ran almost like a triple option 2 weeks ago um screen passes anything around the line of scrimmage maybe even you know start him in the slot motion him to the backfield just find ways to get him on the move and get the ball in his hands and He's someone that I think, 
specifically in that Pittsburgh game, he had like 24 carries, four catches. Um, it's clear, you know, based on how they're using him this year, you know, he's taking two series. I think Malachi is getting like one every three or four series of play, but he's the bell cow. He's the, he's the guy that gets this offense going. I know drones works off of him and is able to generate things in his own right, but it, you know, if I'm the offensive coordinator, I'm just running read options. I'm finding screen passes. Uh, they've been pretty effective this year, too, on those swing passes where it looks like it's a running play. And all of a sudden he's just running to the sideline. Uh, but just anything with him on the move, short passes, runs, he's he's the guy. And I think, you know, I, I think I finally realized last week I was like, wait a minute. This guy is special. Like, we didn't really see it in the first two weeks of the season. But, you know, more and more, this guy seems like if, if you were to throw him in in the Alabama offense, like, I, I think he would be, you know, a top three, like, after the season, like, all ACC type of player. Like, he just continually impresses, even with the poorest offensive line this year. Like, he's breaking tackles, and most of his yardage is coming after first contact. So, He's just an all-around player. I hope, you know, I don't think there's anything injury-related with him. I know he got blown up on on one of those screen passes. Um, you know, hopefully he's all right. I don't, I think he might have come back into the game for like a play or two before it was truly blown out. Um, but yeah, it, this offense, I know like drones is the focal point. Everyone's talking about him and his legs, but I mean, if I'm the offensive coordinator, I'm thinking, how can I get to in the ball in every single situation? Yeah, Mate, I mean, Matei covered it. I I kind of feel like they're uh, trying to keep him healthy or rested with some with how much they're playing it, playing him. Um, he's had he's played over twenty five snaps in one game this year. That was the Pittsburgh game. Um, I, I just think I think I think they need to figure out how to get him the ball more. Like I don't think they've gotten him the ball enough. Um, they talk about they want him to be at 20 to 25 touches a game. <laughs> they better be on the north side of that. Um, like, he's whether it's I like what they're doing and getting him the ball in the passing game because you're not going to just be able to turn around and hand him the ball with this Virginia Tech offensive line. So they got to keep doing that. But like, I would up his usage even even more to where he's, you know, he's touching. 25 or 30 times a game um, and ride them as long as you can. I think you have, I think Matei mentioned earlier, Malachi Thomas had his best game of the season against Florida state. Um, so I, I would run, I guess it's, I guess it's more running the ball overall more versus, and, and as a result, Tootin will get more carries, but um, I think they just got to lean on him at this point. Because, like Matei said, he's clearly the best skill position player Virginia Tech has. Um, so I, th- I, I don't think there's a limit for how much they should give him the ball. Speaking of pro prospects, Matei, you mentioned in the preview episode that this was going to be a big film game for some guys on the Virginia Tech defense, Mansoor Delane, Dorian Strong, among others, that may envision themselves to be pro prospects. How do you think that film's going to end up looking? How would you grade that overall performance? It's interesting because it's like, I love playing the stock up, stock down type of game here. I thought Monsoor Delane had to put some good things on tape. I know it didn't count, but I think there was a deep shot in the first quarter that turned out to be like a holding call on Florida State where Johnny Wilson was open in the end zone and Monsoor Delane jumped over him and batted the ball down. So that's definitely going to be something on film. But, you know, also Johnny Wilson had two touchdown passes. I think one was against Canteen. I don't know if the other was against Dorian Strong. I think it was. But in terms of the performance, like Keon Coleman is someone that, you know, most NFL draft people are saying is a top 10 pick. And he finished the game with three catches for 22 yards. So if you look at it, you know, from a, defensive back performance standpoint they did a pretty good job outside of johnny wilson in that first quarter 
Um, I think Florida State soon realized, okay, we can just run the ball. What's the point in throwing it anymore? Um, and had some big plays in, in the running game. But overall, I would say Monsor Delane probably lived up to his billing. Dorian Strong, I wouldn't say it was good or bad. I think it was, you know, I, I would have to look back and see if he was there for that second Johnny Wilson touchdown. But overall, I thought they fared pretty well against like two, probably the two best wide receivers they're going to see all season. Looking at the PFF stats, I think Delane playing some safety limited his involvement. He was only targeted on on one play they have him at, and it was a catch by by Johnny Wilson. Um, Dorian Strong got the brunt of it with Keon Coleman. He allowed three catches on four targets. Um, and, and then Canteen, three catches on four targets too. Um, so I, I think it's hard to evaluate Delane in particular with him playing some safety now. It's kind of clouds his numbers a little bit. Um, you know, I think I think after the first quarter they did fine on them, right? Like other than that blitz at the beginning of the game, I thought Tech's passing game largely prevented the you know, the big plays were in the running game. They didn't get I thought Keon Coleman was going to be running wide open across the middle of the field on several plays, and he just wasn't. So I thought, you know, I thought overall they must have done a pretty good job. Yeah, and for, like, if you were to tell me that Jordan Travis would have under 200 yards passing and Keon Coleman had 22 yards receiving, you know, he he came into this game with, like, six touchdowns in four games against elite-level competition. Like, that's, that's a win right there. Again, obviously the Johnny Wilson stuff, and I think part of Delane, you know, being forced in at safety because of necessity, like the Jalen Stroman targeting, um, and you know some injuries back there. But overall, I would say for those two, like I don't know, I I thought I saw a bit more out of Monsor Delane. Like I noticed him in a good way uh, at cornerback. Uh, Dorian Strong, I would say, you know, stock is remaining the same. Speaking of stock, just based on what we saw from Virginia Tech in Tallahassee, are we buying, are we selling, are we holding? Does anything change based on what we saw as pertains to the Hokies' chances in the second half of the schedule? Uh, I'm going to hold right where we are, but I mean, I did kind of like the compete level and their ability to get back into the game and the fact that the running game um translated against a better more athletic more talented Florida State defense and I think that can that bodes well potentially for for, for kind of the rest of the schedule where there's you know three or four uh gettable games that we've talked about so I liked it I, I think obviously the passing game leaves a lot to be desired um the downfield passing game like you're you're just going to get inconsistent play out of drones but I thought um with those, with that kind of spurt there in the second quarter into the third, and even I mean, Tech even hung around late. That's why people were talking about that drones run that was close to being a first down, um, but wasn't. Like Tech kind of hung around enough in this game to make me feel a little bit better about their chances against like Wake Forest, Syracuse, BC, UVA. Like they they competed well. Um, against a really, really good Florida State team. So I think, like, like I don't trust Virginia Tech right now, which is why I'm holding, but, like, you could easily draw some positive um, conclusions based on the rest of the schedule that, like, Tech is not going to face a team that talented um, again. Maybe maybe Louisville, maybe, um, but, like, the rest of the schedule, if you're looking at, like, nobody's going to blow them off the – we're not going to go into, except for that Louisville game, we're not going to be on this podcast talking about how Virginia Tech does not have a chance to win this game for the rest of the season. And, and I, so I think how they played against a team like that is is a positive sign. Yeah, I think there's two things. One, it's, it was crucial that you, you're starting the second half down four points with that belief. And although, you know, you lose by 22 points against the number five team, like 
you don't walk out of Tallahassee thinking all is, you know, disaster. There's, you know, for the most part, I think everyone has belief that, okay, you know, we did a lot of really good things against probably a playoff team, um, you know, that we just played. So I think there are definitely some things to build on. And then I think the second thing is, you know, regardless of Virginia Tech, like they're figuring things out every single week, but like, like Doug mentioned, you look at the schedule and it's like, I know we'll talk a bit about Wake Forest, so maybe I'll omit them, but, you know, Syracuse has some things. Louisville just played their Super Bowl against, you know, a Notre Dame team that played three straight ranked opponents, uh, two of them on the road. Uh, Boston College has looked like Boston College. NC State, uh, MJ Morris debut kind of looked like Jameis Winston out there, uh, you know, I think he was like 50% passing, four touchdowns, three interceptions. Um, and then, you know, Virginia finally getting a win. But, uh, you know, very, very winnable games on the schedule. And I think we're kind of looking at – you kind of have to like erase everything that we've seen this season with the second half of the schedule because it it it's shaping up to be like a race to four. Like how can Virginia Tech and can Virginia Tech you know, get to a bowl because there's definitely four very winnable games on the schedule. And most of these are going to be straight up toss-ups. Unfortunately, Virginia Tech's record in toss-ups over the course of the last year and a half, not particularly good. That being said, things can always get better. One thing that hasn't gotten better, the Wake Forest quarterback situation. It's actually gotten significant worse yikes <laughs> just a when they can tell you you don't want to be the guy who replaces oh, the guy with babcock will tell you it was surprising that it's actually very hard to, to do that we talked about jordan travis as probably the best quarterback that virginia tech has faced to this point doug bowman is mitch griffiths the worst uh, Tech already played Phil Dracovic. Uh, um, he's a tight end now, though. Tight end, yeah. I thought they, I thought they reversed that and said he's not going to play tight end. He may not play, but he, I think he, he dabbled in it at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he's right down there with. I actually think he's better than Dracovic, like talent wise, but he just hasn't played better. Um, I, you know, he had. What is it? Uh, five picks in two games against Georgia Tech and in ODU. Um, completion percentage is low. I mean, he, Wake Forest's offensive line, just like Virginia Tech's, has not protected him well. Um, and that's that's really, I, I think that's really been the cause of kind of his struggles. I think, you know, it, it Wake Forest's scheme, Dave Clawson's scheme, if you pr- just protect the quarterback well, he's probably going to be able to figure out how to score like you're probably going to get pretty good quarterback play. Um, so I think that's been the biggest culprit for him. And he's had, you know, I, I, if you look at his, his under pressure stats, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the country under pressure, like a PFF grades him at like a 28 under pressure. Um, most of his turnover worthy plays come under pressure. Um, if, if there's one key to this game for Virginia Tech's defense is that they absolutely have to pressure um griffiths they they can't like they can't be the defense that doesn't that doesn't get in his face and doesn't make him uncomfortable especially at home so um i think it's a it's a big opportunity there's a lot to like about virginia tech about the matchup for virginia tech's defense um and it starts with it starts with the quarterback play like um he's just not not a threat um compared to travis uh i think he's He's even less of a threat than um, Rutgers' Gavin Wims at because he's not a big threat on the ground. Like uh, I think there's a lot to like about like how playing a a down quarterback sets up for Virginia Tech's defense. So obviously the quarterback play has spiraled, some would say, for Wake Forest, but that can't be the only reason for the overall drop and how they're doing is it a where else has Wake Forest struggled this year uh well focus primarily on the offensive side of the ball outside 
of what we're seeing from Griffiths versus what we used to see from Hartman. A couple interesting things. Um, I know their slow mesh gets a um, gets a lot of attention, but their their running game so far they play three running backs. Um, Claiborne, Demon Claiborne is is the main one, and he's he's pretty good. He's Bashel Tootin leads the ACC in missed tackles force. Claiborne's number three, so he does have some a little bit of make or miss ability. But what what Wake Forest hasn't done that Virginia Tech will love is that they haven't broken the big run. Um, they have one rushing play of 30 yards or more this season. Virginia Tech's allowed six. So it's kind of like, like is Wake happy to see Tech's run defense or is Tech's run defense happy to see um, Wake's rushing offense? So, you know, they haven't gotten a lot of, a ton of production from their from rushing attack, which, um, which also hurts Griffiths because he doesn't have the running game to rely on and open things up for the pass game. Touched on the offensive line. Um, they they allow defenses to live in their backfield. Um, bottom third in the country. I don't remember the exact numbers and sacks allowed and tackles for loss allowed. Um, so, I mean, Tech's defense, especially that front seven, um, has to feel pretty good about where they're going. And then I think the other thing that's hurt them is that they're down a smidge at wide receiver too. Like they had... I think it was A.T. Perry, Ja'Cory Robinson. Like they had, in addition to Sam Hartman, they had some really good receivers too. Um, Jamal Banks is the best one so far. He's caught the third most passes in the in the ACC for a wide receiver so far. But like they have, other than only one of the receivers gets any yards after the catch. They're like a Bucky Hodges catch the ball and fall down group. Um, like, Banks has the third most catches in the conference, but the fewest yards after catch of any of those receivers, like 48 of them, he's at the very bottom. So um, I just think it's been a combination of like, you go from legendary uh, quarterback in Hartman to Griffiths, you're going to, you're going to decline a little bit. They don't, they haven't gotten more explosive at running back and then they've, they've declined a little bit at at receiver. So um, I'm not surprised that the Wake Forest, offense as a whole is down this year compared to where they were, you know, they were a top 15 offense each of the last two seasons. And now they're, I think they're in the fifties mostly. So it's a decent offense, but it's not great. And it's not, you know, I think I wrote in my game preview that in previous years, I would be worried about Wake Forest just simply outscoring Virginia tech, but that's not a concern this, this year. It also feels like, and I don't know if this is fair. Maybe you can chime in, Doug. But like Wake Forest, you could put Pittsburgh in this conversation too. But like you kind of know what they want to do. They're going to be like in the mid 40s to, you know, early 50s in terms of recruiting classes. And it feels like Wake Forest over the previous five years, like they recruit the same types of players, like their best wide receiver seems like an AT Perry type of player. They're running the same schemes. Like they're looking for, you know, diamond in the rough, same physical attributes at defensive end. Like it just feels like Wake Forest in previous years and why they were so good is because they hit on a lot of these guys and it feels like this year they have a lot of those guys that they brought in. They've been in the system for multiple years, but they're just not finding those diamond in the rough type of players. Like it's kind of, regressing back to okay this is the talent they're bringing in they're not you know some of these guys just aren't absolutely exceptional yeah i think that's kind of the risk you have of that kind of player development led lower recruiting class led program is that like you'll have these great stretches where you're where you've got a complete offense or you've got a complete defense like you've you've nailed the player development you've nailed the recruiting about you nailed everything and it kind of comes together but then the but there is some, there's more margin for error at that recruiting level, right? So like, it's not going to be a year after year after year after year thing. So Wake Forest was really good for, what's that, three years, 2020, 2021, and 2022, where it all lined up for them as a player development led program. And now, you know, I like some of their players. Like I think 
the running back, I said Claiborne's good. Jamal Banks is good. Taylor Morin is another receiver. He's good. He's been there for like 17 years now. Um, they have a couple good offensive linemen. Like they have some of the pieces, but not as like many as they have had in previous seasons. And when you, especially for a program like that, that recruits where they are, when you have, when you have a whole, you know, at receiver or tight end or a backup running back or, or at quarterback where you're just not as good as you were at one point, then it shows up. Another factor to consider developmental program not a ton of football traditions small alumni base you worry about potentially being in the age of nil and instant transfers the minor leagues which is uh unfortunate but we, we've seen it happen i mean obviously but they were they had hartman went to notre dame they had a defensive lineman go to oklahoma both reuter whatever his name was, and then they had a DB go to Texas. <laughs> they lost three starters that like they developed and done everything right, and then off we go. So you paint a pretty grim picture of Wake Forest. Obviously, the game seems winnable. What does Virginia have to do effectively to turn that into a reality? Uh, I think this is going to be a very tight game. Overall, um, Wake's defense is pretty good, but the competition hasn't been great. Um, I think there's, there's a reason why. I mean, there are three wins over Elon, uh, Vanderbilt, who's like number 100 in the FEI, and George, and um, who's the third? Old Dominion. Old Dominion, who's like 104, right? So, like, they've played decent enough to win in three games against terrible opponents. They lost to Georgia Tech convincingly. Georgia Tech's like it. 75 they're right over Jane Tech's ranking and then they they played but they played well against Clemson so it's like a you know they're a decent team so you feel good about them I think this game comes down to kind of the edges like I think both teams can move the ball against each other enough I think both defenses can stop the offense on enough drives so I think it comes down to turnovers I think it comes down to field position and it Definitely is going to come down to red zone scoring. Um, Virginia Tech's offense has been terrible in the red zone, one of the worst in the country. Wake's defense in the red zone has actually been really good. It's been kind of their saving grace. Like Wake lets you drive, and then when you get in the red zone, they stand tall and like you don't get points or it limit you to a field goal. Um, so that's a key on that side of the ball. On the other side of the ball, Tech's red zone defense is one of the worst in the country, but Wake's red zone offense is literally the worst in the country, number 133. So, like, I think this game all comes down to whoever shoots themselves in the foot with a turnover, two turnovers, whoever wins the turnover battle, or, or, or you don't even have to win the turnover battle. It could just be the turnover at the wrong time or at the wrong point of the field. Um, and then converting scoring opportunities. Tech struggled with it. Wake struggled with it. Um, who who's like if you get four or five scoring opportunities and you take two field goals and a touchdown, but Wake gets three touchdowns, like that's the difference in the game. So, um, I think anytime somebody gets close to the, you know, whether red zone's twenty yard lines, but a lot of people consider a scoring opportunity inside the forty. So any of those times, like that's a key moment in the game to see if if you get zero three or seven and i think that's going to be the difference aside from turnovers i'm actually curious i i mean i haven't done enough research into it and i know everyone likes to talk about the slow mesh but when you look at virginia tech's defense like i don't know if that actually benefits them because you look at griffiths and you know he's running a lot maybe not to the highest success and then you look at the running backs and while wake's running backs are good I wouldn't put them in the same category as some of the players that Virginia Tech's defense has played I think that will be an interesting to see like how Virginia Tech will prepare for that in practice this week like I wonder who's going to be running scout team for that Um, but also I feel like it could play into the advantage and I'm kind of going back and forth on that because when you see these big runs from whether it's, you know, the quarterback or the running back, it's usually a hole opens up. You got a guy going 
you know, north-south, hits the hole with speed, with burst. I feel like it could play into Virginia Tech's favor that you're slowing it down a bit, allowing guys to find the correct alignment. Uh, You know, they have a couple extra seconds. And, you know, the one thing about this Virginia Tech defense that I feel pretty good about is that even though they've, you know, they're giving up nearly 200 rushing yards per game, I don't feel good about that. But the type of athletes that they have on the field are able to, I feel like they'll do a good job of once that decision is made in the slow mesh that they can catch up to whoever has the ball. And so I feel like defensively, I feel a bit better about the run game. At least that's how I feel now before doing more research. Um, And then, you know, I I don't think we've questioned the secondary. Nasir Peoples could come back this week. I think that would be a huge help if if he's actually healthy. I think Jalen Stroman misses the first half of this game. So I'd like to see what they do back there. Uh, And then offensively, I think Doug said it like there's not a lot of pressure from Wake Forest's defensive line. Like overall, it's a good defense and they have some pretty impressive numbers against, you know, the teams they've played. But I think this is the type of game where you're you're giving Basial Tutin, you know, 25, 30 touches, really establishing the run game, sustaining long drives um and and really just you know playing that time of possession and you know it it feels like if you're able to speed this game up go you know have a fast start in the first quarter maybe go up 10 13 points that all of a sudden you know you're in a really good position where you're taking wake forest you know slow mesh and um you're just kind of taking them out of rhythm so i I do think it's going to be a close game but i also think like Virginia Tech has the opportunity to start fast here. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And like, neither team has started good in several games this year. Like, so I think if you, if you, if whichever team starts first is going to get a big advantage or starts quickest is going to start, is going to get a big advantage um, just by being able to dictate the rest of the game and play it. Um, I think for Virginia Tech, if they can get ahead and, and sort of like they did against Pittsburgh and just this, just pound the run right against Pittsburgh. They ran the ball 59 times and threw it 19. Like, I think you want to do pretty much exactly that in this game. Um, Wake plays basically three defensive tackles and three defensive ends. And that's it. They, they play some other guys like occasionally, but like for the most part, they're playing three DNs and three defensive tackles. And I think if you can get ahead early, and just pound them with the running game. I think you can, I think you'll see them wear down in the second half. And so like that first, a, a good start in the first quarter just kind of builds upon itself. So I think, um, I think that first quarter is key and kind of setting the tone and, and figuring out who has the upper hand early is probably going to be the team with the biggest advantage over the course of the game. So at the end of the day, what happens? We talk a lot about the ifs, but will it be executed? Matei? I'm actually coming in with the Colby optimism this week. I think Virginia Tech's going to win this game. I think it's going to be close. I think it's a 24-17 type of game, 24-20 type of game. Um, I think the points look close. I think Virginia Tech will not surrender you know, an insurmountable early lead where they have to fight back. I think they're going to buck the trend this week just because of, you know, how these two off it, or how these two teams kind of match up against each other. Like, I don't think it's going to be explosive either way. And I think that benefits Virginia Tech. And, um, you know, I, yeah, ultimately I can see them doing enough uh, in this game. And I, I do think they're going to win. So I'm going, I'll go officially 24. 20 Virginia Tech. Yeah, I'm right right in line there, I think, with Matei. I'm also going with the Colby optimism this week. Um, it's going to be a one-score game, I think, in the 20s. Like, pick your pick your number in the 20s for both teams. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised either way, really. But, but I do think Virginia Tech gets it done this week. I think um, a lot of their struggles align with Wake Forest struggles. You know, like Tech's red zone defense is terrible. Wake's red zone offense is terrible. Tech's run defense is 
allowed way too many big plays. Wake's run defense, run offense has not generated many big plays. Um, Wake's offensive line allows a lot of pressure, a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of sacks. Um, Tech's been pretty strong in that category defensively, so I think that bodes well for for keeping Griffiths from having the game the game of the season. Right, you have to keep him playing about as poorly, mediocrely as he's played. You can't, you know. So I think that bodes well, especially at home. Um, so I, I think Virginia Tech can pull it out. I think it's going to be 26-23, just a really tight, tight game. Um, I, I like I like the home environment for this matchup against an offensive line in Wake Forest that really struggles. I think the Tech's defensive front and the crowd and all that stuff can make it really difficult. And that, and like we talked about earlier, Griffiths under pressure, one of the worst quarterbacks in the country, makes boneheaded decisions, turns the ball over, puts the ball in harm's way. So you're either going to get a pick, a pick or two, or a sack fumble or something like that. I think I'm, I'm pretty confident. And as long as Tech's offense doesn't turn the ball over as well, I, I think Tech gets the turnover to advantage that they need to to win a close one at home. Wake Forest problems sound a lot like Virginia Tech's. They sound a lot like Virginia Tech's. Poor offensive line play, shaky on the defensive side of the ball. So if all else is equal, I guess I have to go with the team with the better quarterback. And in this one, that's Virginia Tech. Sweep, three three. I actually ah. had my number written down. You can see my extensive notes I take for this podcast, <laughs> like two long. <laughs> Good thing 24. it's audio only, so no one can see that. Yeah. 24-21. 24-21 is the number I'm going with. Love field goal. Walks it off. Wow. Oh, wow. You were specific. Into the night <laughs> in Blacksburg, Virginia. As the cows come home. Homecoming game. Uh, all right. So, any other general news, notes, thoughts? Uh, Doug, Miami football. Uh, <laughs> is that the worst you've ever seen? That was, that is, that, that's brutal. I mean, Oh, hell yeah. There's no explanation for it that that will like there's some things that you can explain like a little bit and you can believe it and you can be like, I could see that. But that's just horrible. I think the worst part of that, too, is that they're showing that uh, Krista Ball like that has happened before that yeah. not in that fashion, like to the extreme of what Georgia Tech did to kind of walk it off. But where they had the ball, they could have kneeled it, they ran it, there was a turnover, and the other team won. Like, yeah. The for, fact that happens twice for the caliber of coach that he is is pretty incredible. I would have thought that, like, as a coach, you blow that once. You're never blowing it again. But evidently not. Do you see like the parlay? A, the, do you see, like, the 50 grand parlay that had Miami as the last leg? Oh, no. Yeah. That's... That's yeah. bad. The nature of the beast right there. All right. In who's back of the week? Definitely didn't steal that from a huge national sports podcast, but Nebraska beats Illinois 20 to 7. That puts the Huskers at three and three on the season. Gentlemen, their remaining schedule. They're six down the stretch. Home against Northwestern, home against Purdue at Michigan State versus Maryland at Wisconsin and versus Iowa. They will host Iowa. They need three wins to make a bowl game if you're Nebraska. What's the next four? Northwestern? Northwestern, Purdue, Michigan State, Maryland, with only Michigan State on the road. That seems like three wins right there. It seems like they're going to win the next three and then lose the last three. (laughs) Things are, I mean, even like the Iowa game is going to be close because they're only going to score. Iowa's only going to score 20 points. Oh, and Cade McNamara just is out for the year. Yeah. I mean, not that he was any good, but <laughs> I, I, it's, I, it's, I, I, I see I, them finding a way to blow it, but I, I think they got it. I believe six and six, Gasparilla Bowl. Maybe they'll meet Virginia Tech there. That would be 
Andrew would have to go on both sides of the fences to do some media appearances there. <laughs> Imagine. I'm like wearing a Virginia Tech polo, shaking hands, <laughs> kissing babies, just like rip it off. <laughs> you should wear a half and half, like the mother that has like both her sons playing on opposite sides. You should just have a half and half Nebraska Virginia Tech polo. Be the first one created in history. I mean, I, I would uh, I would certainly enjoy it. I've got say. Nebraska under six for plus 130, so I think they're probably going to end up with seven. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, all right, last thing here. Looks like Middle Tennessee State won last week. Can't keep stock still down for long, baby. <laughs> Can't keep him down. Just oh, I do. I do have one more thing. Justin Fuente, Indiana. Oh. Indiana is a mess. Yeah. They fired their offensive coordinator. They hired the analyst as offensive coordinator. And then he brought in Fuente to be the analyst. I guess I give credit to Tom Allen for leaving, like, just going for it. Just like, this ain't working. You're done. You're in. Hire whoever. Yeah, we're going to try everything to, to get this thing right. Brett Pry mentioned in the same articles as Tom Allen in terms of first coach fired in Power Five. I wish you could like short that because Brent Pry is not going to yeah. get fired. Yeah, not uh, not before Tom yeah, Allen or not before anyone else. Yeah, uh, you know, simply just can't afford it. He probably doesn't get fired regardless. They could lose out. I think Cristobal is probably on a hotter seat than Pry right now. Wow, that is probably true. Actually. Oh. Jesus. All right, folks. Last thing here. Don't forget, and this podcast won't even be out, actually, so there's no point in saying this, but 0-5 Sam Houston. (laughs) If you're looking for some offense, some familiarity, a blast from the past, go see Coach Cornelson's Beer Cats, B-E-A-R-K-A-T-S, on national television tonight. Against, against... Jerry Kell. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Did we have to re record tomorrow just to do a breakdown? New Mexico State minus three and a half. Jerry Kell has those boys playing hard three and three this year. True. You know, that is a quite the turnaround with win over in state rival New Mexico. Good to get that monkey off your bat right off the jump there. Uh, but that's going to do it for us. GT Scoop. 24-7 Sports Inside the Tunnel. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, subscribe. Get your insider. BTScoop.com. There's stuff behind that paywall that the moment you see it, you'll be kicking yourself for not buying it one, two, five years earlier. It, it truly opens up eyes. I get to walk around acting like I'm an insider, got people in my ear. No. Uh, GT Scoop, 24-7 Sports. We'll see you next week. Enjoy homecoming. Enjoy your weekend. And as always, go Hokies.